All right, well, let's get, let's get into what we're talking about today. Here's, what's ha- here's what happened. About 10, 12 years ago, I'm, I'm sitting preparing a Christmas sermon, and this woman that I'm sitting with, her name was Deb Stratman, is in the job that I had before this job. She was sitting there with me, and I told her, I said, it's super hard to come up with, with a, a, Christmas ty- a Christmas sermon or sermons during the Christmas season because we've heard this message so many times that we got to jazz it up some way, somehow. And Deb looked at me and she goes, Bill, and I'll I'll never forget this. She said, Bill, the Christmas story should stand on its own. It's, It's the maker of the universe coming into this world. It's the savior of the universe coming in to save us as this baby. That story should sit on its own, should be able to sit on its own. But she said, but because we've heard it so many times, we don't, we don't let that story sink in. Well, I started thinking about that this year and I started thinking, you know what, I'd love, I want to start our Christmas season together here in early December by having us sit in the Christmas story. I want us to, I want us to sit through and, and, and read through just a, a pretty decent chunk of the Christmas story and let that sink in for each one of us. The goal at the end of today would be that the word of God through the Christmas story would, would sit on our hearts during the season that no matter what's happening, the hard stuff, the busy stuff, whatever is happening in our lives, that that story would be thing that, that would be lining our hearts in this season. So I, so I gathered together Chris and Maurice and Aisha and, and, and Maggie and, and, and Stuart and I just, I gathered us all together. I said, what if we tr- did, did this for this first week and we just read a big chunk of scripture together and we, and we give some texture to it and we, we, we give a little history to it to just give people a little bit more understanding of what's going on. And I said, will you guys help us to do that? And so I said, what if we shared this? And so I'll start, and then, and then it'll be Aisha, and then Chris, and then Mo, and we'll get a little bit more of a, of a, of a feel of, of, of that Christmas story. And so we all kind of put our hands in the middle and said, let's do this together. So that's what we're doing. Well, for me, I'm starting, we're going to look at Matthew, okay? We're going to look at the, the first like, chapter and a half of Matthew, of the, of the story, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were the four men that set out to write about the life of Jesus, and we're going to look at one of them, at Matthew. Now, now maybe it's because I'm a martyr, but I, I chose the hardest piece, okay? Those guys got easy parts to the story. I got the really hard part. If you've ever read the beginning of Matthew, it starts with 48 names, a list of names, the genealogy of Jesus. And I'm going, I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to start with is the genealogy of Jesus. Okay, I'm going to read these 48 names. I'm going to. I'm going to read all 48 of them. But I tell you what, when I read this, I'm going, man, Matthew would have failed any essay, any class that you have to write an essay because this is not the way to grip you with a great beginning to the story. Okay, that, at least that's the way you think about it. But really, there's actually a ton in this very beginning. If you think about it, go back to college years and think about when you're writing an essay. If you were writing an essay and you think about how you would get that started, that was always the hardest part of the essay. You could spend all day going, I don't know how to get this started. Well, now picture writing that essay, and instead of it going into the garbage can when you're done, after you get your grade, it's now being read by millions of people over thousands of years about God coming into this world. Now, how do you start it? Well, a lot of that depends on who you're writing to. If you go through, if you look at each one of those guys and, and how, they, how they wrote each one, each one it's, you get to see they wrote them differently to the people that they were writing to. 
You look at Luke. Luke was writing to a group of non-religious people, the non-churchgoers, what they called the Gentiles. And Luke was writing to a group of people that are going, I don't know if I believe any of this to be true. And so he needs to convince them that it's true. And so look at the way he starts his, okay? Luke, Luke starts his like this. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from whom the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seems good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the, of the certainty of the things you have been taught. Do you see all those words he's using in there of going, man, I want to, I carefully did this. I want you to know the certainty of this. Because he's writing to a group of people that are going, I don't know if I believe that it's true. And so, there, so, so he's make, he wants to make sure that, man, this was eyewitness accounts. Do you get it? Now, John, on the other hand, he was writing to a second generation of people. John wrote in the latter part of his life, looking back at those times of him spending with Jesus, and he's looking at this group of people going, some of them are starting to fade a little bit. Some of them are starting to go, was it, was it really that big of a deal that Jesus came into this world? And so when John writes his, man, he writes of just the, the, how grand the whole thing was. He's going, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And later he says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So John is going, going it's huge. Do you realize what this is all about? Matthew is writing to the Jewish people. He's writing to what would be the churchgoers. He's writing to a group of people that for centuries and centuries has been waiting. They've been waiting for this Messiah to come, this Savior to come that was going to save them from their oppression, that was going to save them from the, it was going to set them free from the captivity that they felt under the Roman government at this time. They've been waiting centuries for this. And they knew it would happen in the line of David. Now, Chris is going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But, and so, and so, so Matthew's going, you guys, the person that you've been waiting for, that's who Jesus is. And so that's when they st he started with this list, this genealogy of all these people that they would have known every name that he's writing down in this. This was common back then for, 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 to, to look at a list of genealogy. And so, so now Matthew's saying, look, you guys, I'm going to show you from Abraham right up until Jesus. This is, this is who you've been waiting for. And that's when he, when he writes this. Now, settle in, okay? Here we go. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father. By the way, um, every single name that I read, I'm pronouncing perfectly. Okay. Um, Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whom, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Okay, that's the first 14. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. 
Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. If you have never read the Bible before, it's not this bad, okay? Just... <laughs> It's not, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I'll never pick up a Bible. Um, it gets better, okay? But just let's keep going. We got 14 more, okay? Where are we at? Are we in Babylon? Yeah. After the exile of Babylon, Jeconiah was the, these, these, here's where the names really get going. The, the, the father of Sheatiel. That's the way you say it. Sheatiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abud. Abud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Thus were the 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Okay, there you go. Now, let's pass that on to Aisha. No, not yet, not yet, not yet. Before we pass this on to Aisha for the next part, okay, I want to point out one thing that happened in the midst of this genealogy. The people of Israel, they knew those, they knew those names and you guys, barriers were broken down because of those names. Barriers were broken. See, there, 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 there was the Jews and the Gentiles, that barrier between those that were the chosen ones and those that weren't. But some of the names in here were not Jewish. And so, so that barrier, Matthew's saying the gospel, the gospel is for everyone. It didn't matter if you were Jew or Gentile. It's for everyone. There was a barrier, the barrier between men and women was broken down. There are five women listed in there, Tamar and Rahab and, and, and Bathsheba and Ruth and, and, and Mary. There's five women listed. You guys, in the genealogy lists in that generation, there was never, in that time, never women listed. Women at that time were not looked at, they were looked at as just commodity that you could that a that a that a, a dad could could give to a, another man, and that becomes a, a financial trade between two families. Women didn't have any rights, and yet yet five women are listed in that list. And what it's saying is the gospel goes goes beyond. It's just not. It's not just for men. It's not. There's not a gender. It's a gospel is for everybody. It broke down that barrier. And then, and then it also broke down the barrier between saint and sinner. Because it was you, the, the, the people of Israel would know every name and go, good king, bad king, good king, bad king, good guy, bad guy, bad guy, bad lady, bad guy, bad guy, good guy, bad guy. They'd have gone through and seen it all. And they'd go, wait a minute. So Jesus came from that line with messed up people? And Matthew, a tax collector that's writing that, is saying, yes. Because the gospel is for everybody. Matthew's beginning in just doing that genealogy is just saying in a different way what Luke said when the angel came and said, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. 
He's saying through this genealogy, this news of Jesus Christ in the gospel is for every single one of us. Let that sink in this Christmas season. Now I'm going to pass it off to Aisha. She's going to keep going. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 21. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Mary and Joseph are betrothed. And I don't know about you, but when I hear that word, I'm like, but, but what? But if you read and continue reading the following verses, it is easy for us to conclude that it means to be engaged. But being engaged in the Bible days is very different from what it is for us today. You see, back then it was a binding contract between two families that was sealed with the exchange of gifts. And in this contract, the couple was not allowed to live together and being intimate was definitely off the table. So imagine Joseph's reaction when Mary tells him, I am pregnant and you are not the father. If I was Joseph, I would have been like, Mary, how could you? First you cheat on me and then you try to bring God into this. You know what? I'm going to handle this discreetly. I'm going to divorce you and we can go our own separate ways. Because y'all, if someone today told us that the Holy Spirit got them pregnant, we would look at them like they're crazy. And that was Joseph's exact same reaction. That was unheard of. That just simply didn't make any sense. And y'all, a lot of times when we are searching for an understanding, we're trying to fill in the gaps. It's an opportunity for us to walk by faith. The book of Hebrews defines faith as a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Scripture tells us that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We are called to trust in him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and lean not on our own understanding. And y'all, in this moment, not only did it not make sense, but it just didn't seem possible. So God knew that Joseph would need divine assistance to have faith in this moment. So Joseph has packed all his stuff. He's about to take a power nap. And while he is sleeping, he has a dream and an angel appears to him. That angel speaks to the very thoughts that he is thinking and the very emotions that he is feeling. The angel says, do not be afraid, Joseph. Mary is not lying. Mary is telling the truth. You will have a son and his name will be Jesus. Joseph probably heard of angels in the Old Testament, but I bet he never thought that he would have an encounter with one. So Joseph had both a divine encounter and a divine interruption that shifted the way that he saw his circumstances. It didn't make sense. He couldn't wrap his mind around it. But he chose to believe. He chose to believe in the little things. 
So this divine moment changed the trajectory of the Christmas story. Our Lord and Savior is now in Mary's womb and coming soon. Joseph, you thought Mary played you, but she didn't, boo. The prophecies in the Old Testament are about to come true. O child of Bethlehem, descend on us, we pray. O child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I know Bill felt pretty sorry about for himself, but I only got four verses. I mean, you decide. I love uh, this because it is this remarkably succinct summation of who Jesus is. You get it in a single sentence, right? You actually get it in a single word, Emmanuel. Matthew here is quoting the prophet Isaiah, who in chapter 7 of, uh, it's one of the longer books in the Old Testament, he's telling a story. Uh, one of those weird names that Bill said was Ahaz. Ahaz was, Ahaz was the king of Judah. He sat on the throne in Jerusalem. And in Isaiah chapter 7, um, all of Israel's enemies have taken to heart that idea that the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? And so word has come that all of their biggest enemies have decided to team up. And so all of the kingdom and Ahaz as the king especially are terrified. They feel alone when everybody else has ganged up on them. And so God sends this word to Isaiah. And Isaiah meets with the king um, and he says... They will not be successful. Jerusalem will not fall. In fact, it's your enemies. They are the ones who are going to fall apart at this. And, uh, and then Isaiah says, ask God for a sign to prove that this is what's going to happen. And Ahaz actually says, I won't ask God for a sign. But God gives one anyways. And that's where Isaiah says these words, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. At the time that Israel was the most alone, the most afraid, the most uh, stood against, God shows up and says, not only are you going to be okay, you're going to be okay because I am with you. A lot of you probably know that this is called the Advent season. Um, my kids definitely know they each have three Advent calendars at home. Um, they've got the traditional one. It's a cardboard with the really gross milk chocolates in there. And they, so they do that one first. And then we got these one, I have two kids, so we got two of them. It's a Lego advent calendar. It's a Star Wars Lego advent calendar, I should say. So you pull the thing open and there's like a little pack of Lego that you get to. So every morning I get to sit down and we put together, uh, this little thing. And then we have a third one because <laughs> we overdo things, um, that it's actually this like wooden box with little doors in it. And we have to like, we like go to the dollar store and buy a bunch of crud to put in there. And that's probably the one they're the most excited about because they're like, ooh, lip balm, which when you are a five and eight year old girl is the greatest thing on the planet. So 
we, ha- we do Advent big in the Sturgeon household, but why, right? What is Advent about? So the word Advent, it comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which means coming, the coming of somebody. We, we celebrate for four weeks Advent, preparing for the idea that God came, right? This story, God with us, we celebrate the fact that God came to the people of God in their moment of greatest need, of greatest fear, when darkness seemed like it was everywhere. This promise comes from God. You will not be alone. But it goes a little bit further because the Advent season isn't actually solely focused on the fact that Jesus came. It reminds us to look forward to the fact that Jesus is coming again. That Jesus came as a baby, born into this world in this little town of Bethlehem. That Jesus has remained through the Holy Spirit. But that there is a day coming when Jesus will come again in full glory. When there won't be another moment of fear, when there won't be another moment of feeling left alone, when there won't be another moment of darkness, but when God comes back again, fully revealed in glory to set this world as it has always meant to be. A lot of times we can read this story, and the thing that is most startling to us is that a virgin had a baby? Come on. What I think is truly most startling about this story is not that Mary was a virgin, but that we have a God who absolutely refuses to abandon us. That's the miracle of Emmanuel. And now I'm going to invite my friend Maurice up here. He's going to finish the story for us. Well, I want to jump right into my section because I typically go a little bit longer than I'm supposed to. And so I'm the closer and I want to make sure we wrap this up in a good way. So I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter two. What I love about the format for today um, is that we get a chance to slow down a little bit. We get a chance to really immerse ourselves in the Christmas story in scripture, even greater than that, to guide us and let us know what this is all about. So Matthew chapter two. And it says these words, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Verse 5, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd of my people of Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make search and make a, excuse me, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. 
when they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. We, on today, as we listen to this story, as we find ourselves immersing into the Christmas story, I found out as I was just reading some of this and starting to figure out what I'm going to talk about, I began to think about travel, and I began to think about what travel looks like in my own life. Uh, We have a rule of thumb, or I should say I have a rule of thumb whenever I'm traveling somewhere for the very first time. Um, If I'm traveling somewhere for the very first time, and Aisha, my wife, she knows this, um, Google Maps can get us there, but I'm going to get us back. Google Maps can get us there, but I'm going to get us back. That's how I learn to get places. That's how I learn out things. Well, well, this tends to turn out um, full of frustration whenever we're coming back home because I find myself not remembering the exit. Aisha's frustrated because I'll always turn to her at some point during this trip and say, don't open Google Maps. I got this. I don't need those directions. Full of ego, full of pride, trying to find my way home. Um, But I thought about this story because in this story, it's full of travel. And it's no different because Christmas time has always prompted people to travel. People from near and far, from all over the place during this season are going to be traveling. Some of you are going to be traveling back home. Some of you are going to be going to family and friends. Some of your family and friends are going to be coming to your house. It's always full of travel because the Christmas time has always prompted that. But in the Bible story, it's no different. People from near and far travel to find out about this birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And today, who I want to highlight in this story is what the scripture called the Magi. Or for some of us, in some versions of the Bible, it talks about the wise men. Quick little uh, uh, Bible study note, little quick little geek out moment for a second. It's not, there was never three wise men. The Bible never tells us how many there were. So I just want to throw that in there because sometimes we get caught up on that. But what it does detail for us about these wise men and what Matthew does, Matthew is the writer of this book, and what he details for us about the wise men, because he gives more attention to the wise men than he gives any other characters in the Bible story. He gives more attention to the wise men than he does uh, the shepherds, than he does the angels, than he does the heavenly hosts that begin to sing during Christ's birth, if you're familiar with the story. He gives more attention to the wise men than any other characters. I think this is important for us because this is our story. The wise men, if we were to just reduce it down to a point of really seeing the simplified version, are seekers. Are people who are seeking to find out where Jesus is. There's a star and they're seekers. And our story is no different. We're all seekers. We're all people spiritually trying to figure out this journey, our spiritual journey of our creator and where he is. And for us today, as I begin to think about this text and this story, it made me think about why the wise men are so wise. See, for some of us, we would recognize, we would look at the backstory of the wise men, and they're intellectual. Uh, they're, very, uh, they're very astute when it comes to astrology, science, when it comes to the signs of the times, people that were discerning. These people were very intellectual. But they weren't smart because of that. Matthew doesn't call them wise because of that. 
Matthew calls them wise men because they didn't stop at the star. See, I think some of us in this season, we can stop at the star. What does it mean when I say they stopped at the star? See, if they would have just stopped at the majesty of the star and the gorgeousness of the star, then they would have been missing out on the fullness of Christmas. And today, I don't know what your star is. Maybe your star for the college students in the room is that you get a chance to, by the end of this month, finish your finals and kick your feet up. Some of us, that star is that we get to decorate our houses and we get to bake cookies and we get to check off all of our lists and the busyness of our season. Maybe that star for some of us is being able to just look at life and say, you know what, I get to finally relax. That star, if we were a church, as a community, a church, we would miss out on the fullness of Christmas if we just looked at the toys and the Christmas shop as our star, as that end goal. If we just looked at uh, the attendance for people who were starting to come back to church, that would be a miss out on the fullness of Christmas. The wise men are wise because they didn't get stuck on the star, but they recognized that the star was only there to point them to Jesus. If you don't catch anything else from the time of me speaking up here today, I want you to remember and to catch on to this, that God always uses the natural things around us to point to his son, Jesus. He'll use a star. He'll use things in our life to point to his son, Jesus. But how many of us get stuck on the star? How many of us will be staring up in the sky at the star? What if the wise men just got so enamored with the star that they just stopped and they just started to worship the star? They begin to worship their livelihood, their success, their promotion at their job, their finances, their successful marriage. If they just stopped at that place, they would miss out on the fullness of Christmas. And how many of us, sometimes we get stuck on a star, let's be honest. We miss out on exactly how God uses all of the natural things around us to point to him. We live in a beautiful state of Colorado, and people travel near and far, choose vacation homes here, choose to come here all over for the fantastic views, right? The amazing flat irons, a house in Breckenridge. They come here and they travel because of the majesty of what it looks like to climb that 14er and to take a picture, something I still don't get to understand, but they do that. They get excited about this. They'll do all of the things, check off the, the, uh, the list of things that you can do in Colorado and all of this majesty of what it looks like. But the Bible tells us in Psalm 19 that all of these things, the heavenly host, the, the, uh, the, the heavens point to the glory of God. All of these things are not to get stuck on, but it's actually pointing to his son, Jesus. And so for us who live in such a beautiful place, what if we find ourselves getting stuck on the star, not recognizing that we get a chance to see this season as something where he is pointing to his son, Jesus? The wise men are so wise because they didn't stop at the star, but they found themselves traveling to a place where a little baby was born. They humbled themselves to a point of worshiping the Messiah, the one who has come to save us from our sins, the one who has come as the Prince of Peace, the one who has come to bring joy to all of the world. The Christmas season in this season, my encouragement to you 
as the band makes their way to the stage, my encouragement to you in this season is that out of all the busyness, out of all of the Christmassy things, out of all the stuff you find yourself doing, take some time to stop and pause and recognize it's not about the star, it's about his son. It's not about the things that I can find myself getting big-eyed on or the bigness of my tree and how gorgeous it is and how awesome the presents I get to buy for my children and I'm going to go all out for my wife this year and she's not even going to expect this and I'm going to get something really gorgeous and whatever those things are, that's fine and dandy. But if we stop there and don't stop and recognize the clothes on our back, the ring on our finger, the car that we may be driving, the, 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 the things that God has provided to us will all bring us to a place where we humble ourselves in awe, bring us to our knees and say, Lord, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And may we all press past the star in this season so that we may experience the fullness of Christmas. The wise men, the magi are so wise because they didn't get stuck on the star, but they seen the star as a compass to guide them to Jesus. I wanna pray for us on this morning. Lord, as we listen to your story, as we enter into this season full of anxiousness, for some of us full of sadness, for some of us full of joy, some of us are experiencing busyness. Some of us are trying to just get to the finish line of waking up on the 26th where in some ways it's all over. Wherever we may find ourselves, I pray that your story is the very thing that speaks to us. Your scripture comes alive in this season like never before. That we get a chance to be just like the people in biblical times where they were awaiting your presence. They were anticipating a new season. They were expecting a change in their lives. And we get to remind ourselves in this season to do just that, to press past the star, to press past the majesty of what our lives look like or could look like, and humble ourselves before you and to say everything I have, everything that I long for, everything that I see with my natural eye, all points to a beautiful creator who you sent thousands and thousands of years ago to be our peace. In Jesus' name, amen.